We're going to talk about glory this morning. Glory is, is used, it's connected to a lot of things. It's not a word that you see a lot of, but in the gym the other day, I saw this guy, he had a shirt on, and it said glory on it. I have no idea what that means. I don't know if it's glory to his masculinity. I don't know if it's glory to his weightlifting. I have no idea. It just said glory on it. When I was uh, in the Army, my career in the Army, I was in the 10th Mountain Division uh, for a while. And our motto, because it was a mountain division, our motto was climb to glory. So we would salute each other and greet each other with that phrase, climb to glory. And the word glory, is, it's all over the Bible, as we know. Um, and because it's all over the Bible, I think it's pretty important that we look into this word, that we study this word. It occurs so many times throughout Scripture. It's a word that occurs over and over and over And many times it's connected to God himself. So I think it's important this morning that we investigate and we mine this word and this concept. The question is, does it have any application to our everyday lives? Does it have any application to the moral degradation of our nation? Does it have any application to the garbage that we see all around us? Or is it some stale, ancient, archaic word or idea that has no meaning, has no application? Shouldn't I be talking about the evil culture that's around us? And I will later. Or is this word just some primeval, vintage, time-worn thought that has no bearing on the way we live or no bearing on the way we think about what's happening in our culture? Or could I be so bold that when this word is connected to God, that it actually means life or death? Could I be so bold as to say that when connected to God, it has absolute relevance to what we face in life every day? You know, the word glory carries with it the idea of weightiness and greatness and honor. When it's displayed... It's portrayed as a person, they're just staggered in wonder. They're just staggered in awe at what they have seen and witnessed. A lame beggar was healed by Peter and John in Acts chapter 3. And it says, the people were filled with wonder and amazement. Did they just witness glory when they saw that? In Leviticus chapter 9, verse 6, 
glory is connected to the word obedience, it says this. This is a thing that the Lord commanded you to do. So God's commanded them to do something so that the glory of the Lord may appear. Obedience for the people of Israel, and then they get to see the glory of the Lord. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 2, glory is used to describe Aaron's vestments. God told Moses exactly what Aaron's vestment should look like as the high priest. And it says here, to Aaron is told to, or Moses is told to make this robe, these holy garments, for glory and for beauty. So it's connected to the word beauty there. And the phrase, the glory of the Lord, or the reference to the glory of God is, is all over the scriptures. Moses actually asked God, I want to see your glory. And God says, you cannot see my face. Remember that. I want to see your glory, God. And God says, you cannot see my face. For if you see my face, you will die. But Moses was given a description by God of his glory. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So God describes his glory, but there's an ultimate glory that Moses was not allowed to see. For if he saw it, he would die in the presence of God. So Moses goes up on the mountain, he sees more than anybody else. He's, he's in conversation with the living God, but he can't see his face. So the word glory, when you connect it to God, truly is about life and death. So the first point this morning is, I want to talk about how this is displayed. How is the glory of God displayed in the scriptures? It's trumpeted everywhere. The psalmist, Psalm 19, 1 tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God. Isaiah proclaims, in, or God does in Isaiah 43, 7, he tells them that you were created, I created you for my glory. We were created for the glory of God. Our souls were created for God. Our souls were not created for trinkets. Our souls were not created for that which is trivial. Our souls were created for God. So look at the person next to you. That person is created for God. You know, all throughout the Bible, we witness the display of God's glory. The heavens, the planets, the stars, all of God's creation, the endless galaxies, 
that telescopes are discovering over and over. It's, it's uncovered in Genesis. It's uncovered in the covenant with Adam and Eve, <clears throat> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The glory of God is proclaimed in his name. God says, I am Yahweh. That is my name. And he says, and my glory I will give to no one. Isaiah 42. God's glory is disclosed in his transcendent sovereign reign over absolutely everything. The psalmist asks the question, who is the king of glory? Answer, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord of hosts. He is the king. That's the king of glory. God's glory is celebrated in the Old Testament and in the scriptures. It's celebrated by actually declaring him and declaring his glory and explaining it and proclaiming it to the nations. Psalm 96 says, declare his glory among the nations. We do that in various areas of the country, of the world, I should say, and in various areas of the country. Our goal is to created for God to proclaim the glory of God among the nations. And in that same psalm, Psalm 96, the psalmist declares God's glory in the description of terms like salvation, marvelous works, God's greatness, his fear of God, splendor, majesty, beauty. We find in Proverbs 25, 2, that God's glory is to conceal things, to hide things. And in Exodus 24, God's glory is connected and as he appears to a devouring fire of Mount Sinai. But there's still an ultimate glory that cannot be seen without us becoming toast. What is that glory? Where do we find it? And are we ever able to see what Moses could not see? What David longed to see? The second thing I want to talk about is the glory of God be blinding us. We can't see it. It's impossible to see it. It's impossible to see it because you and I have engaged in a transaction that causes the blindness to the truth. Blindness to his glory. Because of this transaction we have engaged in, we are unable to discern right and wrong, good and evil. In fact, Isaiah 5 tells us that we enjoy that. We desire that. We speak of it. Good as evil and evil as good. That's exactly what permeate, 
permeates our land today. So what is a transaction that has caused so much evil, so much confusion, so much suffering in the world? What is that transaction, that exchange, that has caused so much garbage to our own nation? The Apostle Paul describes it in Romans chapter 1. He says, claiming to be wise, they, us, exchanged, exchanged the glory of God for images, exchanged the glory of the immortal God, the one who lives forever and ever, we've exchanged it for something that doesn't live forever and ever, rots, stinks, goes away, whatever. And then he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and decided to worship the creature rather than the creator. You know, this is really illustrated well in Genesis chapter 25, when Esau, coming back from hunting, is tired, he's worn out, and he wants Jacob to give him his birthright. Actually, he wants soup. He wants something to eat. And Jacob, the deceiver, says, okay, I will give you my birthright if you give me, Esau says, I will, Jacob says, you give me your, your uh, birthright and I'll give you the soup. And Esau says, okay, I'll take it. He gave up his birthright. He gave up two-thirds of his father's estate for stew. He exchanged the glory of God for a trinket, for novelty, for trifles, for cereal. Soup. I like the German word. The German word is kitsch. It means something worthless. Paul says that's exactly what we have done. We have exchanged the glory of God. Adam and Eve could see it. We can't see it. But we've exchanged it. We don't want it. We've exchanged it for kitsch. Something absolutely worthless with no value or lasting value. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. And we're going to go back to this, but I just want you to look at verse... Four of chapter four. Look at verse three. Start with verse three. Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing, 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from what? Seeing. Seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We were created to see God's glory. We were created to witness it. We were created to come face to face with it. Moses wanted it. He knew what he wanted. He knew what he needed. David knew exactly what he needed. And he couldn't find it. He couldn't get it. God says, if you see my face, you're going to die. We were created to see the ultimate glory of God. That's the third point this morning. So we're created to see it. But if we see it, we'll perish. But if we can't see it because we're blinded, are we ever going to be able to see it? God created Adam and Eve. They saw it. God breathed life into them. He provided for them. He spoke to them. He gave them direction for living. He communed with them. He walked with them in the garden. They saw the glory of God. But then they made, they made an exchange. They exchanged that great glory because they thought that they could be God, that they could be like God. And so what did they do? They exchanged the glory to worship themselves, to elevate themselves, to glorify themselves. Something that is very acute today in our lives is the worship of the I. Creature, serving creature, creature, worshiping creature, instead of worshiping God. You know, the I, the self, who we are, was not made for the self. The self was not made for the self. I don't care what you hear. I don't care what you hear in school. The self was not made for the self. Your biggest problem is not to make yourself happy. That's not the biggest problem. The self was made to see and enjoy and be mesmerized in and by the glory and the beauty and the majesty of God. That's what the self was created for. So when the self looks at the self, the self is never going to be what it's created for. No wonder we get depressed. Self looking at the self, what is the self looking at? We were, we were created to see God. We were created to see Jesus sitting on a white horse and be mesmerized 
by the array of the army of heaven coming with him to bring the wrath of God. We were created to be mesmerized by that. We were created to fall down before it and to worship him. I wasn't created to look better. You probably think I should, but <laughs> let me tell you, you don't get any better. <laughs> we were created for God, and we were created to see him, to see him. But we traded all that. We traded all that for the teeny tiny little self. And we traded all that so I could care for my teeny tiny little self. And crash went the human race. Now, blinded by Satan, we can't see. We can't see God's ultimate glory. We can't see God's face. We can't see his majesty. It's impossible to see his beauty. It's impossible to see everything we were created for. It's impossible to be what we were created for. What a tragedy that is. But I'm here to tell you, and you know that, many of you, that the ultimate glory, this is Point four, the ultimate glory of God is now visible. We can see it. Go to 2 Corinthians there again. Let's go to verse 3. And I'm not taking this out of context. You can read the rest of it about Moses' face being veiled. He couldn't see it. Couldn't see that glory. Couldn't see the face of God. He was, he was veiled. That veil is gone. And this is what Paul says in verse 18, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. And we all, with unveiled face, these are believers. Those who are believers have the veil removed, beholding the glory of the Lord. Look what he says. We are supposed to see it. We are supposed to look at it. We are supposed to visualize it. We are supposed to have it in our minds and our hearts. We are supposed to see it in such a way, he says here, beholding the glory of God, when we see it, we are transformed. Transformed into the image, same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. When God unveils that blindness that Satan has put there, we get to see the glory of God. Moses couldn't see it. So how do we see it? Where do we see it? And how do we see it and not be destroyed by it? God's glory that was once veiled is now unveiled. Once blinded by sin and Satan is now visible. Let's, let's read this passage now. 2 Corinthians 3.18 down through 4.6. 
Paul says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have been renounced, disgraceful, upper-handed ways. We have had, we have, let me read it up. But we have renounced disgraceful, upper-handed ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice in verse 4 here again, it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I'll jump down to verse 6. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So what do we have? We have the light of the glory of Christ. We have the light of the glory of God. We have two lights here. And Jesus very clearly told us in John 8, he said, I am the light of the world. So what is this Paul saying here? The light of the glory of Christ and the, the light of the glory of God. And Jesus says, I am light. He is telling us that the, Jesus is the light. He is the light of the glory of God. Jesus himself is the light of the glory of God. We, in Christ, are now able to actually see God's glory because of the light of Jesus. The veil has been removed because of that light. The blindness that Satan has given us is gone. But where do we see it? Paul says right here, verse 6, we see it in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's like saying, if you've seen the glory of the Father, if you've seen the glory of me, you've seen the glory of the Father. And vice versa. We can see it. We can see it. You can go to Revelation chapter 22, and it shows, it, it, you can read about Jesus coming on a white horse with a host of heaven on white horses, King of kings and Lord of lords, blood on his robe. You can see that. Not just read it with words. When you read that, 
a believer, what's going to come to your mind? A picture. A picture of what this is like. You can see it. Okay, granted, we look through a glass darkly, and there's not perfect clarity yet, but for the unbeliever, there's no clarity at all. David, he longed for this. Psalm 17, David said, as for me, I shall behold. I want to just gaze at your face, Lord, in righteousness. He, He wanted to see the face of God. That's been fulfilled. We can see the face of God. It's in Jesus. God's ultimate glory is revealed in the face of Jesus. It was hidden to Moses. It was hidden to David. It was hidden to everybody in the Old Testament. But for us, we get to see the glory now. We get to see exactly what we were created for. You know, we were created for God's glory, which also means we were created to see the face of God. Because That is his glory revealed in Christ Jesus. David again expressed it this way. He said, I asked for one thing. I want one thing. He's king. He can get anything he wants. I want one thing, he said. I want to behold again. I want to gaze in wonder the beauty of Yahweh. Where do we see it? We see the beauty of Yahweh in the face of Jesus. No wonder Jesus said, I am, and I am, and I am, and I am. That is the beauty of Yahweh. He is the glory of God. Unbelievers cannot see it and are perishing. What a horrific thought. I was in that crowd at one time, as were you. The fifth point I want to make this morning, I want to ask, what are the results of seeing? What what are are, are the results of seeing that we can see the glory of God in the face of Christ? When we read this scripture and God unfolds his glory in the face of Jesus, And all that Jesus is about, what happens? What happens when the veil of sin is lifted by God and we get to see this great glory? Well, for one thing, it means we get entry into his very presence, as Adam and Eve did, to walk with him, to know him. We get mercy. We get forgiveness of sins for all eternity. We get our debt that we owe God because of our sin and prostituting his grace and glory. We get that debt nailed to the cross. We get the indwelling spirit, Jesus interceding for us in heaven constantly. We get eternal life forever and ever and ever. All the trinkets... They go away. All the kitsch is gone.
Revelation 22, I, I quoted it. It says, they will see, they will see his face. We get a new heaven, and, I mean, a, a new heart, a new desires, a new life. Entrance into the holy places, the Hebrew writer says, by the blood of Jesus and a new and purified conscience. We get the promises of God that are always yes in Christ. We're no longer slaves. Now we're adopted into his family. We are children of God, bought by the blood price of Jesus. We get to walk in the garden with God. We get to have a deep blood-bought relationship with the very one who created us. And it wasn't a test tube. And it wasn't a blob somewhere crawling out of the ocean. Why in the world, let me ask this question, would we ever trade that for cereal? Why would we give up what we were actually made for, for trinkets? Because Satan, Satan has convinced us that God is a trinket. Satan has convinced us that God is kitsch. Satan has convinced us that Jesus is worthless compared to the trinkets of the world. Why would we ever give up being delivered from the darkness of Satan and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, as Paul tells the Colossians? Why would we ever give up seeing and being part of the body of Christ where Jesus is the head. And why would we ever get up, give up that Jesus is being preeminent over everything? He's preeminent over our heartbeat this morning. I told this before, but the first sermon I ever preached in the first church I pastored before I went in the army the woman had a heart attack while I was preaching. <laughs> it's funny now. It wasn't funny. <laughs> she lived <laughs> a long time after that. But God controlled her heart that day. He was preeminent. Why would we ever give up the supremacy of God's son who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his word of power. Why would we give that up? The Hebrew writer tells us. Why would we ever get up hearing and seeing the host of heaven singing, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Why would we ever give that up? Why would we ever give up that white horse-clad Savior 
coming in glory, who is called the Word of God. And on his robe is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Why would we ever get up, give up what Isaiah witnessed and what he heard? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the earth is full of his glory. And what was his response? Oh, is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live with a bunch of people of unclean lips. I'm doomed. That's exactly what he thought, I'm doomed. That's exactly what we should think in the presence of the glory of God. Woe is me. But in Christ, in Christ, we get to see the face, the glory of God and the face of Jesus and not die, and not be extinguished, and not be terminated, and get to keep breathing, and get to keep living on and on and on. So what's the application to all this? Well, I have seven things. The first one is, don't exchange the glory of God for the lies of our culture. They're the lies of Satan. And we'll get to some of those in a minute. Don't exchange the glory of God for anything. There's nothing, nothing worth exchanging the glory of God for. You know, there are a lot of good things in this world. A lot of good things. A lot of good things that you and I like, that we enjoy. But we are never to exchange God's glory for those. Because every one of those things is going to be gone. Number two, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're in this room today, it's because you have made that terrible exchange. You've exchanged God's glory and if you've never heard the gospel message before, Paul says, you've seen it in the sky. You've seen it in the heavens. No excuses. You've exchanged his glory for garbage. And God calls, them, calls you to repent today, to turn from your sins, to confess your guilt for making that exchange to beg God mercy. Because make no mistake, you are under the wrath of God this morning, and you will pay the price for that. Number three, don't exchange, here's my mic here, don't exchange the glory of God for that which you were created thinking I can become another gender. Gender-affirming surgery. That's a soft term. It means mutilation of God's creation. That's what it means.
Don't exchange God's glory thinking that you can become male if you're female or female if you're male. How foolish. You can never become another gender, ever. No matter how much you cut off or put on, it can't be done. It's impossible. All it is is mutilation of the body. Abortion. Abortion, you know, we know what it means, but it's a soft term. It's a soft term for murder. It's a soft term for mutilation, mutilating a body, a human being, a creation of God. Number four, don't exchange the living true God for any lies about God. Oh, there are all kinds of concepts about God. Like, Exchanging the truth about God for like, I can live with that woman and not be married to her and still worship God. The answer is no, you can't. You cannot worship God. Impossible to worship God and live with somebody and not be married in an intimate relationship. Or Oh, I can live in an intimate relationship with the same gender and worship God. No, you can't. That's absolutely impossible. It's a lie if you've been told that or if you believe that. Or I can take drugs and serve and worship God. That was a big thing in Helga and I's in the 60s, you know, smoke pot and so forth. We didn't, praise God. But that, that was the thing, you know, smoke pot, and you can worship God better. <laughs> no, you can't. It's ridiculous. I can't take drugs and worship God. Or how about this one? Oh, I, I can just ignore all the evil that's around me, and I can do nothing about it and still worship God. No, you can't. It's impossible. Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight. Well, what's the fight? (laughs) The fight is against the evil that was around him. That's the fight. And Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians that we are to take every thought captive to Christ. All this philosophy that's out there that's that has a most of it has a Marxist basis to it is a lie. We need to see through that and proclaim the truth through that. Because it's all against the living God. Number five. For you have been forgiven of the evil exchange. Rejoice. Praise God for his mercy and grace. Enjoy walking with him. Enjoy immersing yourself in his truth. Hate sin. Hate sin. Love God. Study, study, study the glory of God in the face of Jesus in the pages of these words and gaze, gaze upon his beauty. Jonathan Edwards was so mesmerized by Jesus 
And all he could do was read this. He was so mesmerized by Jesus. This is what he said of Jesus. That Jesus is the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. How do you like that phrase? The admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. And there are several examples in the Bible. Lion and lamb. Jesus is the conjunction of both of those diverse excellencies. They both have their place. The roaring lion of Judah and a lamb looking as if he was slain, but standing, as we see in Revelation. The sixth application. Be enlightened and taught by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to understand the things that God has given to us. A believer can't understand those. The things of God are folly and stupid. I, know, I use those words because that's exactly what I thought of them. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. I don't want to hear it. The unbeliever believes that God is a trinket. That God is kitsch. The one who refuses Jesus believes, even though that he or she will not admit it, believes that they are God. And that's who they're going to worship. Number seven, the last one. Look up. Because Jesus said, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels, how? In the glory of his Father. The glory of the Father is not coming without the Son of Man and the Son of God. Because his glory is in the face of his Son. Jesus, this is the absolute conclusion of this. Jesus is the glory of God, and we can see him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, for those today who are in Christ, we are unblinded. The veil is gone. We can, we can see, we can see soft terms used in our culture. that are evil. We can see right through the philosophies that are going on now. We can see that. And we can see the contrast between the truth of God and error, evil. Lord, you have given us the mind in Christ, those of us in Jesus. We know what's good, and we know what's evil. And we don't ever want to call anything good evil or evil good. Lord, I I am glad to see once I was blind, I mean really blind, and and over these years more and more I can see and it just keeps growing the sight 
only because of you, Lord. It's only because of your revelation and the truth of your word. I pray this morning, Lord, if there's anybody here today